Hi everyone, and welcome to the Running Centre podcast. Today we speak to Karen Blankenship, an incredibly knowledgeable vision itinerant teacher with many years of experience, including working closely with Dr. Anne Korn, a recent guest of the podcast. Our chat with Karen has been broken into two parts, assessment tools and the expanded core curriculum for students who are blind or have low vision. This episode looks at what assessment tools should be used before designing a curriculum program for a student who is blind or has low vision. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Rennick Centre podcast. My name is Trudy Smith and I'm the Manager of Continuing Professional Education at the Rennick Centre. Today we're joined by Karen Blankenship, who's fascinating. We've been having a little bit of chat prior to this session. Karen, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Certainly. I've been a teacher of students with visual impairments for 43 years, so a long, long time. Um, I am a Vanderbilt grad for both my undergrad and my PhD. So I got my PhD with Dr. Ann Korn, who is my mentor and my friend. So I've learned a lot from Dr. Korn, and I know that she works a lot with you guys as well, so you know her well. I have been an itinerant teacher. I have been a vision resource room teacher. I worked at the Department of Education in Iowa for eight years as their statewide consultant in blind and visually impaired and in multiple disabilities. So I've done a little bit of everything. Came back to Vanderbilt and I was a professor at Vanderbilt for nine years. And now I'm kind of finishing out my career at the Tennessee School of the Blind. So I have done it all in my career. <laughs> done every job there is. <laughs> so I'm kind of excited about it and I'm passionate about expanded core curriculum and about good teaching. So I have been doing research on teaching for a very long time, as well as working with Dr. Phil Hatlin when he developed the expanded core curriculum. So I was kind of right there on the front end. He handed the gauntlet over to me when he retired. And now I've handed the gauntlet over to Robin Clark Keating. So I just kind of keep moving around to younger people. It's, it's, we're so excited to have you with us, somebody with your considerable experience. And as you say, Anne is a friend of ours and, and has, has featured on the podcast as well. So it's fantastic to have such alumni with us for this. Today, we're going to talk about assessment. And so we know as teachers that when we plan a program for students, we should work from what they already know. And we usually find this out through assessment. So when we think about students who are blind or vision impaired, what are the assessment tools or practical uh, practices that are critical to planning that quality program? And we know that there are three assessments that have to be done. And in the States, they are by law have to be done. But the first one's a functional vision assessment. And that's kind of where we find out because the, sometimes the ophthalmologist office is so sterile and it's so small, we really need to know how children are using their vision in the practical environment. So looking at the school, looking in the community, looking at orientation mobility. So how are they using their vision? And that is really where we come up with accommodations. So we kind of know what's the impact of the visual impairment on educational programming. Because in the States, we have to justify that assessment that helps us justify the impact. So the functional vision assessment is huge. And before I just kind of taking them each one at a time, and the tool, we have done like four or five literature reviews and looking at everything in our field and found that the one tool that has the most components on it is the FELMA from the American Printing House for the Blind by Sanford Burnett. So that's the one we recommend. It's a great tool. And so we recommend that one for both. And so the functional vision assessment, 
Unfortunately, here in the States, that's what teachers talk about all the time, is the functional vision assessment. But there's other pieces of information we have to have. So the next one is the learning media assessment. And the right. learning media assessment is really determining what is a literacy learning media for that student, that individualized student. And along with that, we are rec it's recommended to do a basic reading inventory. And so here, most people use the Jerry Johns for the basic reading inventory because it comes in braille and large print by the Texas School for the Blind and Vision Impaired. There are, there are great friends that do all these materials. <laughs> I don't know what we would do without them. But reading specialists are really recommending the qualitative reading inventory by Leslie and Caldwell. And it's, it's probably more realistic. It has longer passages. And so what we found when we do a compare contrast is the Jerry Johns will sometimes have students at a higher level than the qualitative reading inventory does. So it really gives you a more realistic feel for where they are. And if you look at the comparative data in the FELMA from Sandra Burnett, they give you the normative data for large print readers and for braille readers. And it's compared, it's compared to their sighted peers. And so it's, it's always good for us to keep on the radar screen, where are the sighted peers in reading? Absolutely. Because we know that the Braille reading rates are pretty low. 150 is, is high in the reading rates, but we know that you need to read about 300, 400 words per minute to be successful in college. So we always want to keep that on our radar screen. That's our goal, is to make sure our students can read as fast and understand and then you're also doing a listening evaluation using either one of those tools. It'll give you a listening level. And what I have found is that our students listen at a lot higher level than they read. And so, you know, some Interesting, people, isn't it? Yeah, some people give up on reading and just do everything auditorily. And I think that puts them at a disservice. I think they have to have both. Because the mm -hmm. research now is really supporting a multimodality approach. So making sure they have the braille under their fingers, listening to it, listening to you read it, have that multimodality approach for learning media assessment. The difference is we recommend using the Koenig-Holbrook tool from the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. That's your formal tool, but it has not been updated since 1995. So oh, whoops. <laughs> So there are some updated forms that I have that a friend of mine got permission to update because they were still talking about tape players on one of the forms. So we kind of get to social media and digital, <laughs> uh, just a little thing like that. Just kind of. So we, we recommend that, but there are some fabulous functional things in the FELMA by Sandra Burnett to look at. So it's kind of like looking at what kind of materials the classroom teacher uses. Are they using a whiteboard? Are they doing videos? Are they doing those kinds of things? So kind of both of those tools. And when we talk about the resource, it's all on there. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. The third thing that is critical, because this is what we teach, is the expanded core curriculum. So I have come up with a system to screen and then assess. And there's a lot of different tools now there is the screening tool that we developed in Iowa has been adapted by Region 10 in Texas. And I didn't put that on the resource list, but I will certainly send that link to Trudy. Because Thank what you. they did is they took the screening tool and Phil Hatlin, who I love, Dr. Hatlin, 
because this was his vision. And he, he wanted us to assess in all nine areas of the expanded core. And so the VALS, which is our assessment tool that we have from Texas Score for the Blind, comes in three volumes. It is huge. And as a teacher, I'm looking at that thinking, there is no way I'm going to get through three volumes with every student. And so I said, okay, well, that's compromise. So what I, the compromise system was, let's have a really in-depth conversation about all nine areas. And we're not losing track of them. We're going to keep them on the radar screen. But realistically, that's target two to three priority areas for the year. And then after you screen, you get those two to three priority areas. Then you go and do an actual normative curriculum-based assessment where you can write measurable goals and actually collect good progress monitoring data. So that was the system that we came up with that Dr. Hatlin, he agreed to. <laughs> and so <laughs> to me, that just makes it more reasonable for teachers. There's no way to do all nine areas. Now, yep. Texas had a due process, which in the States is a horrible thing to hear that you're going to have a due process. And it was because they weren't offering enough expanded core curriculum. So what they have done now is in law, they're requiring an assessment in all nine areas. But I'm not, I'm sure they're doing some sort of abbreviated. Sure. I'm, I'm hoping they're not using the screening tool as an assessment tool because screening tool is not an assessment tool. So no. anyway, that's the, the system we came up with. And so those are the three assessments that you absolutely have to have. Now, for kids with complex learning needs, and I'm sure that there's a lot of people on the podcast that have kids with complex learning needs, those tools are not appropriate. Because the FEL, FELMA by Sanford Burnett says it's good for kindergartners through 12th grade, but probably no more than a moderate intellectual disability. Sure. So something with a, a complex intellectual disability needs a different format. Now, they came up with one that wasn't published, but they did, and they didn't publish it because iSAFE was out. And <sighs> SAFE has been around for a long time, but what I hear from teachers is that they've never even opened up the box because, again, it's three volumes. Uh, so, yeah, feels too big. overwhelming, yeah. So there is, there's one that they came up with. It's basically a lot of the same content areas, but they also included the visual skills, which I think was great from the Oregon project to tell you developmentally when kids should be seeing what. So mm -hmm. I like that piece of it. And then for the learning media assessment, we recommend all of Millie Smith's work. And it's the sensory learning kit assessment from APH, from the American Printing House for the Blind. So that's our recommendation for the learning media assessment because she looks at kind of that sensory for sensory motor children, where are they? So she's looking at their response rate for sensory. She's also looking at, are there times of the day that they seem to be more engaged? Are they taking medication before they come to school and they're sleeping for three hours? So you're looking at those behavioral states, those arousal states, and you're also looking at what interests them. What is their motivator? What are things, she calls them appetite and aversions. And so what do they thrive on and what do you better not put in front of them? So you can kind of use those as motivators to help them start to develop their vision. Yeah. And so those are the things we recommend. There's a lot of discussion about, you know, what to use. A lot of teachers are still using the CVI characteristic scale by Christine Roman. 
as a piece of that, but not as the whole thing. So there's a lot of other tools. And unfortunately in our field, you can't just go take something off a shelf. You really got to think about the individual child because all of y'all know that, and that's plural guys for you all is all y'all. Yeah, we gotcha. <laughs> Good Tennessee. So we have, if you have five kids in a room with all the same eye condition, all the same acuity, they're all going to be different yep. because we don't know what kind of experiences they had. When did they lose their vision? There's so much that we kind of laugh and say every child's an N of one. So you really, as a teacher, have to be skilled enough to sit down and think, okay, there's this child. What tools do I need to pull in? What pieces of tools do I need to pull in to complete a really good assessment? So those are the things that, you know, the tool, the assessments that we, we're calling them the essential assessments. So one mm -hmm. of your resources is I teach a class from Perkins that you can take for a staff development or for credit that kind of gels in and it's an eight week class and you get into everything. So we kind of, we drill down into all those different resources and you get a chance to practice. So we're calling those essential assessments and that's how I taught it when I was a professor at Vanderbilt is teaching that because you can't do one without the other. Mm -hmm. And the expanded core curriculum is our content knowledge. When you graduate from college, this is what you know. This is your content knowledge that no one else at the table has. That's what you bring that's so unique to everything. Mm -hmm. And so that's something we do every year. And then there's pieces of the learning and assessment that you want to update every year. So what tools are they currently using? Are they still working for them? Or do you need to start thinking about additional tools to help them access information so those are things we do every three years here every triennial and then there's pieces and parts that we do every year for instruction sure that's so comprehensive karen i think that gives people a really good idea of exactly what the pillars are that you're looking for when you're setting up a a, a program can you tell us a little bit about the standard of practice that we should all be aiming for to ensure that all of those components that you've just assessed for that are required by a student are involved in a program well, and I think we have no consistency across personnel prep programs. So there's no standard of practice in our field. So everybody's taught whatever they feel is important. So then you have a group of teachers who come out with varying levels of expertise and importance. So we're, we're, we're talking about standard practices, making sure that everyone comes to an agreement on what that looks like. So that when a child moves from one area to the next, they have the same information for the next teacher. We're thinking about that. So that's one of the things that I'm also the director of quality programs for students with visual impairments. And that's what we promote. But you don't need to participate in that to start to establish a standard of practice. So one of the things that most people use to establish a standard of practice is on your resource list that you'll get at the end of the podcast. And it's the EA rubric website. And that's a website that I created and I keep updating. It's been a little uh, temperamental lately and I've had to email the webmaster frequently and I'm getting ready to update. I'm always updating the rubrics. So on there guys is there's a whole section about why rubrics are important and how to measure your practice. And there's a content rubric on there where it has all the different components. But then I broke it down into quantitative rubrics. So I gave it a zero to four score. 
so that you could use it to grade yourself. You could use it with a peer to do a peer critique. Your administrator could use it to see that you have not missed anything. And on those quantitative rubrics, there's a page number and a tool on every area. So I've taken the lit review of the content areas, but you're gonna find, there's gonna be teachers that are gonna find things missing. That is because I was trained by Dr. Ann Korn and Dr. Randy Jost was our low vision specialist. He wrote the book. And yep. so I was getting ready to present on this at a conference and Dr. Jost, who's a friend of mine, was going to do a presentation at the same time. And he said, I can't come to your presentation, but I have some thoughts. So he wrote it out on a cocktail napkin <laughs> and I started to hyperventilate. <laughs> he was saying, why are you doing this? That's a medical measure. So I took those notes and took them to heart because as a good researcher, every teacher is an action researcher. And yeah. so every good researcher does not collect data that they're not going to use. Mm -hmm. So there were things that Dr. Joe said about the protocol that I never knew what I was doing that for. And it didn't make any sense to me and it didn't help me with planning. So I shared those with both Maria and Rebecca Sanford Burnett and they revised some, but they didn't revise everything. So right. things like you're going to see on the rubric, people are responses and not there because Dr. Joe scared me to death. <laughs> if you see pupils that are different and you don't refer the child to a neurologist, you're going to be sued. And there was things, so there was things like that. So you're going to find that sometimes the rubric does not have the same things you were trained on. But I just sure. wanted to let you know why they're not there. And okay. Then, Everybody does their own practice because I, I no longer do visual motor things because that's an occupational therapist job, not yep. mine. And Dr. Ancorn agrees with me, but majority rule. And so we kept it in for three to five year olds as they were learning to read so that you'll still see some, some different things in there that I don't agree with and I don't do in my practice, but they're sure. in there. And it's so important, isn't it, I think, to acknowledge that other people bring levels of expertise that we don't, and we should involve them in a team approach. Exactly, exactly. So you're going to still have to make some professional decisions about what to do and what not to do. But it's on there for you to use. And there's about 122 free resources on there as well, so that you can use in your assessment process. There's tips we had videos, but we had to take those down because they belong to the American Foundation for the Blind. But right. there's tips up there and there's free resources that are just in Word document that you can pull up. There's a great one about spotting eye condition, spotting visual impairment in the classroom that you could give classroom teachers to look for. So there's some different things on how to map out the classroom. So there's, they're all in there and they're on the content rubric. So you click on that and find those. So that's what most people are using for their standard of practice. Are we, do we have a percentage and working towards, you know, when people start identifying that they're going to make a four on the rubric, I kind of laugh and I'm like, don't do that. Start with a 2.5. Where, where are you now? So do a yep. pilot at where you are now and then just do incremental steps about improving your practice and making sure that everybody is on board and agreeing with it. I think it's critical. Fantastic. Look, it's, it's, it's comprehensive, that website. And I was going to ask you, you know, what resources, but it sounds like that EA rubric site is the number one resource that everyone should be going to. And of course, we'll put that in our show notes for people to access. 
And then if anybody else wants to share things, because I know Cyril Miller shared her observation form from Texas. We have iReport forms from different states. So anything people want to share, they can also send to me and we'll put it up there because we're just all in this together and we're here to support each other. So it's just for everybody. It's fantastic. And I think that's what we're trying to do with this podcast too, is to build a learning community together. So we will certainly find a way to, to, to let people know they can get in touch with you as well. But Karen, this has been fascinating. So thank you so much for your time. It's been, there's so much information in here. I know people are going to need to listen to it a couple of times just to take in that comprehensive list of assessments. So thanks so much for your time today. You are so welcome, Ms. Trudy. A big thank you to Karen for speaking with us today. We have included a few resources mentioned within this episode in the description. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and we'll be back again next week.